You're listening to The Real Word Podcast, produced by Reading Opens Minds. I'm Lauren, and in this episode, we're talking about the book The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith, a.k.a. J.K. Rowling. The Cuckoo's Calling was first published in the UK in 2013 by Sphere Books and had placement at number 4,709 on Amazon.com before it was revealed that the author of the Harry Potter book series had actually penned the book under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith. The book shot to the top of the charts nearly overnight when Galbraith's true identity was leaked. This is a crime novel about a model who falls to her death from a balcony. Though it looks like suicide, her brother is not convinced and hires private investigator Calmer and Strike to look into the case and find the killer. Reviews were good even before the outing of the author, with the Independent noting that it's, quote, a book about looking and listening, and about using loss to develop emotional intelligence, and about friendship, end quote. This group hadn't read a crime novel together yet, so we thought it would be a fun new experience with the Harry Potter author tie-in. Of course, this was before we learned that many of them hadn't actually read the Harry Potter books. Okay, who wants to go first about why you haven't read Harry Potter? <laughs> okay, you haven't read Harry... There's a bunch of people in this room who are readers who haven't read Harry Potter. Tell us why. When I was younger, I thought it was just too thick. <laughs> This is the woman who like reads like crazy. I, I read it when I, I was like seven. You did okay, but you just decided yeah, it's too just, thick. Forget it. Thick. Yeah. Okay. Who else? You didn't read it either, Marisol. Why? <laughs> why didn't you read it? It was um, like the thing. Because I wasn't interested. Like people would say, like it's awesome. It has wizards and stuff. But and at the time, I, I wouldn't like really be interested in that. I would just put that aside. And then you like else. had it, but you were like, whatever, I can't do Yeah. That. I thought it was also too mainstream. Yeah, you didn't want to yeah. just jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. Um, I did not get into Harry Potter completely. I think one, because if I was going to get into it, I had to commit to it and read all the books. And I think I'm too lazy to read all the books. Okay. Did you read them? Yeah, I read them all. Yeah, and what, do you have anything to say about these people that haven't bothered to read Harry Potter? Well, um, Xavier, you made it sound like you had commitment issues, first of all. <laughs> um, but it is... How did you find the books when you read them those years ago? Oh, I actually... Way back when, I think I was in the fourth grade, um, I found, I picked, I just, I was in the kids section of the libraries, you know, the ones where there's all the toys. Yes. And um, I laid down on one of their little kitty couches, and there was a Harry Potter book, and that thing looked way too thick to be in the children's section, because it was like the size of my face. And I just, it was the fifth one, I think it was The Order of Phoenix. Okay. And I don't know if that's the actual title of the book. It I'm was, not this was a long time ago. You. I've read them all, but I don't remember. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I read like the first full pages when my mom was out wherever with my brother. And I guess I wanted to, I guess that kind of got me interested in it. And then I wanted to start from the beginning. Well, at least a few people have read Mr. H.P. As we begin talking about Cuckoo's Calling, we discover how reading preferences can change over time. What did you just say about Cuckoo's Calling, madame? She says, 
the description, the book lets you use your imagination. And you said what did you just say? That you can basically imagine it, but it's too imaginative. Like you, it's, it's too, too imaginative. It's too descriptive. Do you realize that you had the same argument last month about For, the other book yeah. you just read? And, and I, I was arguing with him the whole time. And I don't have the same argument this time. <laughs> you don't? Oh. You just I didn't like it because everybody else liked it. Ah. I'm, I'm flipping. I'm you're flipping. flipping. Okay, hold on. She's so flipping. you're saying that it's too descriptive, so it's too it's, descriptive. And just, it's like we get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, now what do you say? Okay. If you're going to contradict, I love contradicting. This book wasn't... I felt wasn't overly descriptive for me, which is weird oh my God. because I feel like the text was more of like a passive descriptive kind of thing. I don't know if passive is the right word, but it's just, um, just. <laughs> it was rich in detail. At least that's what I thought. And then it got boring because of it. Was it because it wasn't romance? Yeah, that might've been it. What do you mean? Because the other one was very romantic, and I remember what he pointed out was a very romantic scene that was bothering him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Versus this, while it is very descriptive, it's describing the location, yeah, it's how things look, how things feel. Rather than rather than the emotion. But this wasn't the, you with the ball in our stars. Look, like, that was that was ninety ninth grade year old me. I'm oh, in 11th have you, grade now. Have you grown? <laughs> yes. How have you changed? I'm mature now. Mature? Yeah, I am, you Dave. Were, you were much shorter then. Ten feet doesn't make you mature. mature. So wait, so how do you think you've changed as a reader? That's very interesting. Well, in ninth grade, I wasn't very much a reader anyway, so I feel like I liked books. I mean, I liked um, anything that was given to me in book club, my first book club. And I think Fall in Our Stars was our first book. Okay, so you weren't into books in ninth grade, but then you were happy to read. I was happy to read, and then, I mean, this is my third year with the program now, and being exposed to so many different types of books, I've um, created a preference since I've read so many different types, and... Oh, you have more of a preference. Yeah. And that is... Yeah, go ahead. So you're anti-love? Yes. You're boy meets world. Okay. I mean, boy meets I, boy. That was, <laughs> boy meets world. That was my problem too, yeah, yeah. because I, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned with boy meets boy that I was like over the love stuff at some point, and I was I just wanted like the real stuff, like the real love is not real. Well, uh, I don't know. Now we get into a description competition of sorts between Harry. And cuckoo. What are you gonna say? Okay, so I think the book. I really, really like the book. Yay! And so, why I like the book is because it tr- it's like it was it let me um since I have a very um I don't know a hyperactive imagination. I don't okay. know, but it's I have a really strong imagination. And so when I'm reading the book, I can like I can just. just see everything. I can see the street, I can see the front of the building, I can see the stairs, and then I can see Cormoran and him being like up to that clock. I don't know oh, why. Big, big dude. Yeah, and then Robin being like to his waist. Oh, and how, sure. And sure. just like how adorable <laughs> she is compared to him. Okay, you liked the character. Yes, and it made me want to draw. I didn't like it. You did, okay, do tell. Do tell. I, I, like Leslie said, I think it was a little too descriptive. Like with Harry Potter's I think there's a little less description with this one. It's like just so much, and normally I can just envision. Should we do things. a compare? Do we have a Harry Potter in the, on the shelves? 
And let's see if it's really true. Who wants to test out a passage from Cuckoo's Calling and a passage from the last Harry Potter book? Okay, go ahead, read yeah. something. This is from Harry Potter, the, the last book. Pointing his wand, nothing particular, he gave it an upward flick and said, Love a corpus! inside his head. Ah! There was a flash of light and the room was full of voices. Everyone had woken up as Ron had let out a yell. Harry sent advanced potion making flying in panic. Ron was dangling upside down in midair as though an invisible hook had hoisted him up by the ankle. Okay. And this is like, what, midway or a little more? Kind of. Okay, so get, do, not in the beginning, do midway, because we know beginning they introduce the characters and all that stuff. Exactly. Go for it. Exactly. The heavy black door, uh, the heavy pa black painted front door on number 18, uh, Kentajern Gardens, opened on the Marvel lobby. Directly opposite of the entrance was a handsomely built magony desk, to the right of which was a staircase, which was turned immediately out of, the, out of sight and the entrance to the lift with its uh, varnished gold doors and solid wood doors set into the white, into the white painted wall. Okay, that was descriptive, wasn't it? Yeah. That was a good one. Oh, I think I know where it is. That was a, that was a good one. We move on to talk about the relationship between the two main characters. And this is like the first detective book I actually read. Ever? Yeah, ever. Like no Sherlock. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's more. This is a series too. This is? Oh, yes. The next, on the, back, isn't it? the next one is about Strike, Cormoran Cormoran Strike and Robin doing something another that's what someone told me. I was actually happy that that they got that to work out, that Robin gets to stay there. That she got to stay yeah. Because I actually liked oh, yeah. Robin. I do too. She's very good. Uh, she actually, I think, strike developed a bit because of her, because of how uh, useful she was. Oh. Like she, he seemed to be like the jerk who didn't really pay attention as much, but really decided that. But then when somebody else puts skin in the game. Yeah, yeah, uh, he changes quite a bit. Wow. So you think his shift was because of her? Yes. Brilliant. Should even think of that. Yes. I think I do too. Because it used to say whenever whenever she got angry, like this there's this one time when she he wasn't paying attention to her tags and she was kind of oh, yeah. angry. Because yeah. she had like news. Because she something. had news about mm -hmm. um, Duffield, I think it was. And I don't know, I don't remember. But uh, he got angry and he she got angry and he noticed it. So I do believe that there was like it was early on, it was uh one oh seven, something like that. He developed a little bit even yeah. So I think his development was because of her. And the killer in the story and his motives. Spoilers ahead. Who guessed the murderer? It's you. He told you. I didn't no, even but before he told me, I was like, it's really? the brother. It's predictable. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Not. You cannot say really. I, yeah, it was. He's guy. the guy that brought the case. Yes. That's you, what makes him so special. What do you mean? You guys watch Criminal Minds. Criminal like, Minds. Like, yeah. Like on have TV. Okay. I'm not trained for this. Because I totally did not know at all. I didn't know. Well, for me, it was just easy because I watched Criminal Minds, and they always say that the the murder is so like they insert themselves into the investigation, and I guess it's just. But he brought like the case was closed. That, that's what I said. Yeah. It was he didn't have to at all. Like, I kind of felt a little bit like really, J.K. He wanted the he wanted the will though. No, I'm the money. Maybe he, he just wanted he to see if he could like somehow find a different way that she was murdered. Because he said like I want to find who murdered her. Mm -hmm. So if he had some, if Strike had somehow caught up with like some sort of person that did it, that he wouldn't be seen as the murderer if anyone decided to reopen the case. But he was the murderer. So by hiring yeah. 
a detective, you take a big risk. The case is closed, and it was said she left everything to her brother because nobody knew that she had another brother. So it's still, I mean, he didn't he get the money, or wasn't he in line to get the money? Yeah. Because he was the only public brother anybody knew about, right? And the other guy was about to come see her when he saw her fall out of the... Thing. And then he ran away. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. The second runner. Right. Exactly. So, but okay, let's talk about psychology then. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. You're going to get burned. But is there a part of every human being that, okay, let's say, let's say we, you killed somebody. Or you, oops. Vegas rule, you guys. Or, or you commit a crime. Is there any part of all of us that wants to be found out? Yeah, yeah. you gonna do. There's going to be that small part that's yeah. going to be like, because you're going to feel guilty. Yeah. You're going to feel guilty, so. Anymore. Please guilty. just take me away now. Catch me. <laughs> Who would feel guilty about a crime? Uh, no. Like that you willingly committed? I mean, all the girls do. The guys are like, I don't care. Willingly. I feel bad if I stole a lollipop. You <laughs> feel bad if you stole <laughs> That's not really murder. No, I mean, like, it's like a little crime, but I feel bad about it. You do? Yeah, I don't Do you like... want to be found out? Do you confess? I don't know. Honestly, it's just like a little lollipop. It was something more than yes. Right. But then, okay, if you feel guilty, then why do we ever go against our moral center? Because we feel like it. Because, because we're at the moment, guilty. you know? Yeah. Spur of the moment, you know? Like what? Because maybe we have to. Okay, but why? You're compelled? You're forced? Maybe it's You're just... You're forced? No. You maybe it's like, I have to do this or else somebody else gets hurt. Like what? Hurt someone know. so someone else so like get hurt? greater and lesser yeah. evils is what you're saying? Oh, two yes. of them, yeah. There are greater and lesser evils? I think it's a little bit of... Everybody has a little masochist inside of them. Oh, that's what I was trying to get to. Okay. Did he just say we're all masochists? These are the types of discussions I love. Our humanity on display. <laughs> so can you define, can you elaborate on that? Um, everybody, I think somebody would go against their conscience and do something like that so that they can feel a little twang of guilt or pain or something because they want to feel something negative. And they might just feel the need to, I don't know, create drama or create, they might feel bored and like man I need something negative in my life I mean I know I'm guilty of that just getting in trouble just to hold on jerk. I, this is so interesting okay can you without details we don't need details can you give us an example from your life when you have done something just because of that um I guess you could say I was I was bored and I felt like things were just too, I think maybe I felt too complacent. And I just needed something interesting in my life. And I felt like doing something, I guess you could say naughty, would be that way to, would be the way to make things more interesting and kind of spice up. I think I needed some drama and then I intentionally sought it, even if it was harming me and I knew it was wrong and it would have disastrous consequences in the future. And did it have disastrous consequences, and did it harm you, whatever it was? It did. It did. And I guess you could say sometimes it looked bad. I, I look back, and in retrospect, I do regret it. And Dying to know, but I won't ask. <laughs> yeah, so you regret it. Um, but I guess that's hindsight, right? Did you? 
Sounds like it. Did you recover? I mean, have you recovered wholly from whatever that was? Well, um, I guess you could say I've learned my lessons and, and I've learned that the past, I guess, follows you and it affects you. Um, and it leaves impressions on people and yeah. What people think of you. Mm -hmm. And then one of our adult members, MJ, a college counseling intern, pipes in with a benign but perfect example. Okay, be brave. All of our lovely students, including (laughs) myself when I was a student. Okay. the most easiest one is procrastination. Oh, <laughs> Now that's interesting because I bet people don't think of, of procrastination as a, a piece of masochism. But I see it all the time because then, like, I'll have certain students who are uh, more, like, who do it more, and then they tell me they regret it, and I, we go over their grades and we talk about it. And then at the very end, the last five weeks, that's when they like get it all together. And I'm like, you see all the suffering? Mm-hmm. You cost yourself. And they're like, yeah, but I still did it. <laughs> and that includes myself, too. I did that a bunch of times in college. You did? I did. And I loved it. I'm you- <laughs> <laughs> what? You loved it? I feel like, honestly, like, even though I'm really stressed out, I write my best papers oh under God. that condition. Okay. I don't know who should be saying that. Yeah. To young, impressionable minds. Don't wait till last Don't night. wait till the college counselor changed her mind. mind. Yeah, I know. No, I mean, so is it masochism or is it just stress or is it is masochism wanting to be stressed? You were saying you were bored. That's why you did it. Yeah, I think procrastination can be a form of masochism because in the you end... you know you're hurting yourself? Yeah, you're doing it intentionally. What you're really doing is, oh, I, like, you relish the thrill of that time and the, like, the deadline it. and the pressure <laughs> that you're under. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woo, I gotta say, this whole thing threw me a bit and sent me back to thinking about my high school days. Though I am not a procrastinator now, I do remember those dreaded summer book reports we had to do that I would find every reason not to do until a day or so before school was starting back up again. Just thinking about that gives me stomach pains. Who knew a discussion about a crime thriller by J.K. Rowling would come around to procrastination as ubiquitous masochism? You never know who is going to say what next in this group. You've been listening to The Real Word Podcast, produced by Reading Opens Minds and edited by Saul Black. You can find us on iTunes or the podcast app on your phone or on the web at lareviewofbooks.org slash the-real-word. Thank you to the LA Review of Books staff and supporters for giving this podcast a home and some tender loving care. For more information about Reading Opens Minds, go to readingopensminds.org. There you can subscribe to our newsletter and see what else we're up to. Special thanks for this episode goes to Maria Jose Vasquez and Stacy Reeder for co-facilitating the book club. 
Next episode, we'll be talking about the book The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Until then, I'm Lauren. Happy reading.